Welcome to Rock Solid Ministries Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about our free revival ministry or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at rocksolidministries.org. Again, rocksolidministries.org. Today, we're visiting with preacher Jason McVicker of Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. And I was trying to remember today when we met Jason, I think you or someone from your church attended a revival I was preaching at the Latite Church of Christ in St. George, New Brunswick. Was that you or somebody else from the church there? And we kind of got... It, it, wasn't, it wasn't me in Latite, but I, I knew you were there and uh, it was somebody from the congregation. Okay. Yeah. And, and then we were invited to come to Fredericton and we held revivals with you in 2013 and 16. And of course, future revivals had to be canceled because of the Canadian restrictions during COVID. And uh, even today, we're smiling at one another uh, by way of internet video feed. I've been looking forward to today and our time together. And so, Brother Jason, tell us your story. Sure. Well, um, we'll start with, with me coming to faith. Um, I didn't grow up in the church like my parents weren't Christians. I grew up in a great home, like my family was awesome. But no, no faith to speak of. No, just very nominal kind of belief in God, very general. Never, ever mentioned the home or anything like that. Uh, but I was a bit of a, a wild kid. So um, my parents never, found never would have thought that of you, Jason. What's that? I never would have thought that of you. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know that, that you think <clears throat> that, that my, my present life is not revealing my past life. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, I was a bit of a wild kid. So my parents always found ways to get me to either Sunday school or youth groups. I think that the reasoning was something along the lines of, I don't know, better me going to church than breaking windows. So uh, okay, <laughs> that was about, about the way they were coming at it. And, uh, when I was about 14 years old, so I, I got really good friends who were in the church, who grew up in the church, and they were just good, good kids at the time, and they were always going to youth group. So I'd always follow them to youth group and to, and to church and to Sunday school. And when I was about 14 years old, I actually came to the faith. Um, it was not a deep faith of any kind, and there was no real follow-up when I came to the faith. Right. And so it was my whole teenage years there, you know, there was youth group, there was church, and I had a belief in God and I had a faith in Jesus Christ. Like it was a saving faith, mm -hmm. but it was about as superficial as you can get and still be a Christian. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so by the time I graduated and went off to college in St. John, just the freedom to do whatever I wanted without my Christian friends around me mm -hmm. just kind of dominated my life for the next couple of years. And I, partied and went right off the rails and did that for a little while. And, uh, and it, it got pretty bad. It got to the point where it was starting to like affect me, like, em like mentally, emotionally, not in a, like I wasn't super depressed. I just had this constant nagging feeling that like life, there must be something more mm -hmm. to life than partying. Like the partying was fun while it was fun. And then when things got quiet and everybody went home, that's when I was left with my own thoughts. And, and those were the thoughts. Like, it's got to be better than this. There must be more. And the, the more I thought like that and the more it nagged at me, um, the more I started to remember like things like camp 
and yeah. my my old Christian friends and and uh, Sunday school and youth group and just like those were the good times compared to even even when I was having fun doing all the drinking and drugs and all that stuff. Fun, fun um, with quotations on it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, fun in a in a worldly destructive way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like I started remembering that stuff, and I remember. I think it was, I was playing some video game. I forget what the video game, it was one of those shoot 'em up games. And at that time you could like network all of the computers right. and we had a bunch of friends over and uh, you could play your own music in this game while you were shooting them up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I had a playlist going on while I'm playing this game. And, uh, and somehow, do you, do you know the band Th- third day? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So somehow this song made it in from when I was a teenager. Uh, the the minister who uh, was ministering in the church down in Latite at the time had given me this third day CD. And so like I had ripped every CD I have to MP3 format and that just must have made the cut somehow. Like anyway, so I'm playing this playlist and the song Thief from Third Day came on. And I don't even remember like hearing the first bit of that song because I'm just playing the game. I'm totally engrossed. And I get to the, I start to realize what song it is and I stopped playing the game. And it was the lyric where the thief is on the cross and he's mocking Jesus. And uh, the thief chastises the other thief and says, you know, we deserve to be up here. And this guy's done nothing. And then it's the lyric where, where he turns to Jesus and he says, he says, uh, will you remember me? You know, yeah. and, uh, and Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I'm going to get choked up telling this. <laughs> Go right ahead. He says, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Like broke my heart because I remembered. It was like all my faith when I was a kid came rushing back. Yeah. All of those beliefs that I had, like all of those, like, when my life had meaning and value, like not that it didn't then, but I wasn't aware of it. Like I didn't know how God saw me. I didn't know how, like it it was like I had amnesia. I just forgotten all that stuff, but it all came rushing back with that song. I I just, I shut the game down, got on my knees and I prayed and I asked for forgiveness. And from that moment on, I began to, I found a church uh, in the city that I could start going to started getting connected with Christians again and start just started turning my life around. And, uh, it was a mixed bag because I was still partying a bit, but I refused to drink anymore. And I, and I tried to stay away from that stuff. And the moment I stopped drinking, I found out who my friends really were. Yeah. That happens (laughs) to a lot of people. Yeah. And they all just kind of disappeared on me. And then after a while I, I got, I didn't even want to party anymore. I was like, it's too hard to keep both lives going. And I, and I wanted to pursue my faith. And so I said, no, my, my place isn't going to be for partying anymore. And that's when the, the few remaining friends disappeared. (laughs) And so I, I, I got fully into church and then at that time ended up moving to Moncton and working for the, the times and transcript, the newspaper there, putting that online and, uh, and got involved with like, uh, the church over there and, and it just kept getting deeper and deeper in the faith. And then I decided to go back to university and be a teacher 
That was my goal. And uh, found all my old friends from when I, uh, when I was a kid. They were still strong in the faith and started going to church with them. And my faith just kept on getting deeper and deeper and deeper and more mature. And I started leaving. It was just this process of dying to self and sanctification where right. it was, <clears throat> I was just maturing. I was maturing in the faith. And about two years into my education, uh, I was, yeah, I was going for an education degree. I switched my majors, decided I wanted to be a preacher and uh, switched over. I knew that uh, Maritime Christian College had a program where if I got a degree, I could basically couple it with their degree and only have to do two more years of school. So I switched over to a religious studies major and, uh, and basically planned to be a preacher. And that's, that's my story in a nutshell as far as coming to the faith and becoming a preacher. So you were going to university on Prince Edward Island. Yes. And yeah, so you were just a, right no, across the sorry. road from Maritime Christian College. Yeah, so I went to, uh, I went to university at St. Thomas in Fredericton. Actually, the oh, church okay. I went to, the church I went to when I was going to university was the church I ended up preaching at. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, see, I'm learning all kinds of things. I spent those two times. Had a lovely meal at your home that time and learned a lot about you. But, but uh, so much. Yeah, did not know that. So, yeah. uh, you you went two more years to Maritime. Is that correct? Did I get that right? Yeah. So I, I graduated from St. Thomas. Got my Bachelor of Arts in Religious Studies, and then went to Maritime Christian College and got a degree in Bible and Ministry. All right. So, yeah. what year did you graduate from Maritime? That would have been, <clears throat> it was either 2008 or 2010, because I ended up working for the college for a year and a half and helped build a, an admissions program for them. Oh, all right. Yeah. So uh, from there, did, uh, were you, did you just have a desire to start to preach? Were you filling pulpits while you were working at the college and doing some weekend preaching, or how was that going, working? It was, it was... I did the occasional ministry work, did a lot of youth group work, did a lot of work with the camp and stuff. Um, but as far as preaching goes, it was it was pretty few and far between. Most of my attention was just focused on the college and on that program. Right. And then when I once I built the program, I realized like I have the mindset to build it. I don't have the mindset to execute it. That's a very specific personality sure. type I when understand it comes to that. recruiting and stuff. Yeah. So I basically I knew my time at the college was done and I knew that Fredericton had just had a big, massive like implosion and a mass exodus of their congregation. And they were down to, I think they were at a hundred when it happened roughly. And they were down to about 20, I'd say. And they had spent, they had spent a couple of years in that, in that place. And so I reached out to them and asked if they had been looking for a minister um, and where they were kind of at with that stuff. And, and uh, the guy who I was corresponding with, he had said they were actually just about to reach out to me. Oh. And so, yeah. And so it it seemed pretty clear. Uh, I know I felt the calling for Fredericton, and they, they felt called to to reach out to me. So that began an 11-year ministry with them. So uh, for those people, since I was sharing with you before the program that that uh, our second largest number of listeners come from Canada. But, of course, the first largest come from the U.S., uh, now downloaded in in 47 states. But 
we don't know as much about your country as they know about, as you know about ours. Uh, apparently, right. from what I've learned in, in the times we've spent up there with, with the wonderful folks in Canada. Uh, so you might describe uh, the city of Fredericton and, and how that relates to New Brunswick and, and lo- sure. you know, share a little about that. Well, Fredericton's a city between 60 and 80,000, if you count the surrounding areas. Uh-huh. So we call it a city. You probably would more likely see it as a town. <laughs> Places I've lived, I'd call that a city. <laughs> we did? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I think it's the third largest city, even though it's the capital of New Brunswick. Right. Um, it's, it's filled mostly with government workers and uh, – university students there's a lot of trades there's a lot of like it's the whole mixed bag what you would get in any city but it's predominantly like a government university town so it's very there's there's quite a bit of money here but you fit in there too because you had spent time in uh working for a college and you're you're a university graduate and that kind of maybe that helped a little bit yeah i was familiar with just kind of the culture and the right and and the mindset I want to say I love Fredericton. I, I was so disappointed we didn't get to come back. Greg and I were supposed to both come in 2020 or 21. I forget yeah, when. We and were we were really looking forward to that. He was looking forward to coming for the first time and Beth and I for the third time. And we love your trails there, for one thing. And, and yeah. the, the people are great. We love the downtown love area. Fredericton is a beautiful city. I took a... There's a there's a Malice word called uh, Sedoncisk. That's what Fredericton was called before. Oh, Really? I, the white man came, and it just yeah. means beautiful valley. Uh, it is a great place and great people, and so you were there eleven years now. You yeah. were uh, you were preaching in in St. John for a while, is that correct? And then, is that did I get that right? No, 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 no. All right, I'm I'm lost that somewhere. I, that somehow, well, I, that... I lived in St. John right after high school for about two years. Okay, all right. Yeah, I guess that uh, somehow that kind of got. Input into my files, and I apologize for that. So, tell me about the the ministry that you you had the eleven years that you were with the you're not with the Fredericton Christian Church now. No, and so tell us about the eleven years that you uh, served, and uh, maybe if if you want to some of the challenges, some of the good things and uh, joys. Sure. Well, the the ministry itself, as far as being kind of introduced to ministry. It was a fantastic church. Like yeah. it was <clears throat> the, the ministry itself for one, it was filled with people I knew and loved. Yeah. Like, and still do love. Um, and they, they knew me. I knew them. There was a rapport there. I had gone there uh, my whole time while I was in university. And, uh, and even some of the people who were there, I grew up with. So they had moved to Fredericton and like, well, one of my best friends growing up, his parents were heavily involved in this church. They had mm-hmm. moved to Minto when I was just a teenager. And so there's just all kinds of history in that church. And so it was a very, like, it, it was a good, good first 10 years. Like mm-hmm. it, it was, you couldn't ask for better. It was, the people were great. The The ministry itself was healthy. It was it was, it had moments, Fredericton's a very transient city, so it's hard to, it's hard to grow at any kind of rate if you're sure. not willing to do the whole attractional thing. Right. right. <laughs> so, I appreciate that. Uh, but we had, we had steady, like it was always, 
a very healthy situation in terms of of our numbers. Uh, we had gone from when I had gotten there about twenty to uh, as many as sixty. Like I think when I by the time I had left, we were averaging uh, during COVID around anywhere from. Well, COVID was so crazy. Oh. It'd be anywhere from like 25 people to 40 people or more sometimes. But uh, usually I would say the average probably would have been around the 30 mark right. during COVID. Yeah. During COVID. And uh, I, it's crazy in the U.S., you know, because we've had uh, different parts of the country have approached it differently. And a lot of it depends on the who's in the political power in, in various parts of the country. Yeah. And so some churches uh, were told to shut down completely. Uh, others were told just, you know, be careful. Like, you know, if you got the flu, you wouldn't go to church. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, be adult. There's adults in the room. Handle it. And, yeah. uh, <clears throat> and I, I found it interesting. <clears throat> we, we took about six weeks when they first said shut things down. And a lot of churches did. Some did not. And uh, But where we were planning to go on revivals in early 2020, or I think March and April, uh, our revivals for us and our partner, Greg Strickland, uh, were, were shut down. Uh, and they, they, a lot, some of them just didn't reschedule and others rescheduled where others, when others shut down in May, um, and we went to some areas where the government had said shut down and the churches said, no, we don't do that, yeah. you know. And and uh, and we had told people even during those six weeks, if you want to have a revival, we'll, we're coming, you know, because that's yeah. what we do. We only have so much time on this earth, you know, and, exactly. and I, I'm not going to shut up sharing Christ. And um, just recently we were in California and they're still very strict there. And yeah. uh, Greg was there last year when it was even stricter. And the preacher said, we haven't shut down. And, and, you know, in California, they said, shut the churches down. He said, he said, we're not shutting down. We'll have a revival if you come. And he went and had a great revival. And we went this year had, and baptized three people into Christ. And, oh, and uh, so we've done that everywhere. And, and uh, you, you know, I, I've been saying this a lot where I go. I probably said on another podcast, Jason, but, you know, a lot of us started going to church because somebody explained to us, someday you're going to die. Mm. <laughs> and now we're not wanting to go to church because we're afraid we're going to die. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. And, and Canada has been, like, I don't know if you're following the news or anything right now, but Canada's response to COVID has been over-the-top oppressive. Oh, like, we, and I, I didn't want to be the one to say that because I'm not Canadian. But, <laughs> but uh, my goodness, we know that. We've canceled... We, I guess we've had probably 13, 14 revivals that we've had to cancel. Yeah. And went ahead and canceled this year, this fall. Greg did because, you know, yeah. you don't know what's going to happen. Well, like when COVID started in Canada, like our church did really well for a little while. Um, we, like we had shut down really early on before anybody really knew what COVID was. And right. everybody shut down just because it was just like, yeah, nobody understood it. Nobody knew. So we, we had shut down. and uh, But once we started to get a bit of a handle on, well, basically when the data started rolling in and it, it became clear that COVID was attacking certain people in certain circumstances badly, then it became, okay, so we can do this, that. And then government came out with its guidance. And we, we basically, we had decided we will 
we will stay open for as long as we're not in complete conflict with government right. and any rules they put in place, we will follow the guidelines to, you know, as close as we possibly can. Um, but my approach was, was to put everything in place that the rules can be obeyed, but then just to leave it in the hands of people. Like right. use your own judgment. You know, the rules, I'm not going to police anything. That's not my job. My job is to preach. That's right. <laughs> and, yeah. And so, and so we did that. And for a long time, we, we trucked right along. Um, the only times we ever closed, I don't remember how many times, we, if we ever closed again, until government, what had happened was government, government had decided they're going to take the approach in Canada, and especially in New Brunswick, of punishing the unvaccinated. And they yeah. were, they, and that was that was their exact words, like punish the unvaccinated. And yeah, we've heard a lot and, of that around here too. Yeah, and the the, the idea was that they would um, basically uh, discrimination is a strong word. I hate it's a victimy word. I don't like it very much, yeah. but yeah. it's a it's basically what they did though. They they basically they said if you're not vaccinated, you can't participate in certain aspects of society and all this stuff. And but what had happened was when they put all of those restrictions in place and really targeted the unvaccinated, a huge portion of the unvaccinated just didn't budge. Like a lot did. A right. lot did. But about 10% in New Brunswick just it didn't matter what the government did to punish the unvaccinated. They just weren't going to be. And I know because I was one of them. Right. They weren't going to be <laughs> and, bully, bullied. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. And it well, it was just, uh, yeah, I'll explain it in a bit. But yeah, so they, they had approached, that was their approach. Mm -hmm. And I think government noticed that a significant portion of the people who continued to resist were people of faith. Yeah, And so government in New Brunswick, at least, had decided what they'll do is they will they will target the churches. Mm -hmm. And so what they did was they created like an ultimatum kind of situation for the churches where they said, if you're willing to do vaccine passports, if you're willing to basically check their vaccine passports at the door, and mm -hmm. if they don't have a passport, basically go worship somewhere else. Um, if you're willing to do that, you can operate at full capacity with almost no restrictions other than masking. But if you're going to allow unvaccinated people into your congregation, you have to operate at half capacity. You had, like all of these restrictions that, that had previously been in place when it was in like one of its most restrictive times, they're like, that's where you're going to be at. So basically it was telling churches, um, you know, if you, if you want to operate at full capacity, you have to discriminate against certain Christians. Yeah. And or even just certain people and say, you know, get Jesus somewhere else if you're not vaccinated. Mm. <laughs> and so most churches didn't fall for it. Um, most churches decided to go with option B, have capacity, the restrictions. Our church <laughs> decided differently. They they didn't. It wasn't that they want. They chose option B, but then they began like pressuring me personally to to get vaccinated and, and I had made it pretty clear like that I, I just wasn't going to that wasn't the yeah. choice my reason was pretty simple um, I looked at the data I saw that COVID 
only attacks certain people, um, the elderly, the obese, diabetics. Like there, there were certain comorbidities that sure. that made you very susceptible to uh, to COVID. So I had decided pretty early on because I'm very, very healthy. I take very good care of my body. Like I consider it stewardship. Like God has gifted me with this. I'm going to take, it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. For the listeners, I'm looking at you and I know you and I'm, and I'm agreeing with you. So they know you're, you're telling us the truth. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so anyway, I I just decided my whole family, we had decided we're not going to, we're not going to get vaccinated. And then, I mean, and then eventually like the vaccines began to fail big time in Israel and England. Mm -hmm. And, and it just became obvious that the vaccines, they had their place for certain people just not for me. And I just wasn't ever going to put that in my body. And, but they, a handful of people in our congregation had decided that my vaccination status would now be the measure of my ministry and my character. Yeah. And had been kind of, I was told that I was a huge stumbling block to the congregation and that anyway, all based on I mean, scripture, I'm sure. I don't want to get too, into too much detail because nobody's yeah. here to defend themselves. Right. So, I, and I appreciate yeah. that very much. Yeah. But suffice it to say, um, my vaccination status became kind of the measure of my ministry. And I just wasn't able to continue on if I like I could have continued on, but restrictions had been placed on my ministry where I couldn't I couldn't visit people in person. I couldn't um, like. I don't know. It was just, it became a, a situation where ministry was just impossible and intolerable. And it was just, it was time for, it was time for me to go. <laughs> it's, it's sad. And it's not just with vaccinations, mm-hmm. but four and a half decades in ministry for me has shown that uh, it's anything we choose that churches, groups within a church sometimes will choose a very unbiblical approach to say, this is our test of you as a minister. It's not whether or not you were out there at three o'clock that one morning with that family where the person was dying. It's not whether uh, you taught the gospel to someone and baptized them at 11 o'clock at night because they were ready to accept Christ according to the New Testament. Yeah. It's not that. It's that you haven't been vaccinated. Or uh, we, we don't like that you said this to one of our friends that was yeah. the truth. And... And I, that's a sad part. And I, I'm always telling people, you know, yet we have difficulty. It doesn't matter what you do in life, no matter what your work is. And, I, and ministry is work, but it's really a lifestyle. It's not just work, but it is lifestyle. That's right. But no matter what you choose to do, you're going to have trouble and you're going to have people that you disagree with. And you may have some uh, a boss that says, well, you got to go because I don't like you. Uh, the the shame is a lot of times in church you you've got a hundred or thirty bosses or at least they they think they're your boss, they don't realize you got one and he goes with you wherever you might be ministering, <laughs> you work under him, yeah. and it's it's a sad thing that we see that type of thing happening and uh, we've had uh, I've known preachers here they've been pressured <clears throat> I don't know that any got to the point you did I'm sure they did but I just don't know them uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm happy for some. Uh, we have some great friends out in Pennsylvania, and when their governor said, you have to shut your churches down, uh, they said no. They said, uh, it's the oldest continuing rural Christian church in America. It was started by a couple of guys named Alexander and Thomas Campbell, just about oh, wow. uh, about oh, four or five miles of the crow flies from their home, uh, from, yeah. from Alexander's home. 
And they said, at one point, five widow ladies kept this church open in all these years. And us elders aren't going to let five widow ladies out to us. And they, they, told, they were very sensible. They told the people, treat it like a blizzard. Uh, they get some terrible blizzards there. They said, you know, if you're afraid to come, then don't come. We respect that. Yeah. But we're, we're, <clears throat> we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to be here. We're going to have preaching. And they're one of the ones that uh, we moved from, from uh, March or April. And the best time for, for us was our American Memorial Day. Uh, so we start on that weekend. And, um, and it turned out to be a great, a great meeting. Although on the way up there, Beth and I had a hard time. We ate out, basically ate out of gas stations most of the time. And, and, yeah. uh, um, but we also had a Memorial Day service, which they had been told you can't have, had it at a cemetery with almost a hundred people. And I like to tell people there were a lot of teenagers there, uh, who've been raised right, that we remember that our freedoms and yeah. what kind of a signal would we have sent to them if we had not met on that day to remember why we have our freedom of, uh, as we say in this country, our freedom of religion, assembly, and speech. And, yeah. and Beth actually filmed it and put it on, on FaceTime that afternoon. <laughs> we didn't get any yeah. trouble, though. But I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate the fact that um, I'm, I don't mind saying with you I'm the same way. I, I, uh, I'm, I've, I've changed my physical approach to life since I first met you. Uh, and you, you might can see that over the video. And, I can. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't know if that shocked you. You haven't looked at each other in all this time, but, yeah. but, uh, I, I looked at what was in flu shots and decided for me some years ago, uh, that synthetic stuff I don't want to put in my body. I'll take my chances. And that's where yeah. I am with, with this. And, uh, I, we like to say, we, we believe I had COVID Actually, in November of 19, before anybody knew what it was, I'd been to a missionary convention, came home, and was two weeks with everything that is COVID. And, yeah. and uh, I, I was the same. I had COVID when this first came to Canada. So they started shutting everything down in like March of 2020. And I had gotten this crazy, well, my father had got it first. He got it in February and pretty well took him out. And, but he got through it. And then I caught it. And uh, it was, it was, I got through it pretty easy, but it was, it was more than a normal flu. Uh, like I wasn't vomiting or anything, but it right. just, it was the energy levels. I couldn't believe how tired I was. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, anyway, but I didn't think anything of it until COVID came. Right. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I've had this. Right. And, and, uh, and that was confirmed uh, about a month ago, our family got COVID and everybody in the family got it but me. Yeah. And, you know, I think that uh, and we we felt like we were in a revival already this year where the preacher and his wife and their grown daughter, who's a health worker, all came down with it and wife and daughter pretty bad during the revival. And the people just said and this was in a big, major Western city. And they the people said, it's revival. We're going well by Wednesday. Beth and I got a fever and uh, we I let the preacher make the call. He had to he had to miss on Tuesday. He just said, I'm, I'm going to have to stay out. Yeah. And uh, he said, why don't we cancel the last night? And he had my PowerPoints. He had a CD of the sermon. And he said, Sunday, we'll play the CD. I'll run the PowerPoints and we'll get that last in the series on yeah. on uh, priesthood. And so that's what they did. And it was a smart move for them. But we had to go to another state and start on Saturday night, just three days later. And we appraised them of it. And they said, just let us know what's going on. By Friday, our fever was gone. 
And they said, come on. And they said, if you, and the preacher and his wife said, if you get here and you're sick, then we'll, we'll put you in room in our house. We don't care if it's COVID. We're going to take care of you till you better. Yeah. But we, we went and had a, had a, we actually had a, close to 80 decisions during that revival. So we needed to be there. Satan's doing everything he can to shut the church down. In the U.S., you, you know, the figure over a year ago was one third of the people who were attending what they call regular, which is probably two times yeah. a month or more, are not attending in person or online anymore in the U.S., in the USA. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's got to be similar numbers here. It's probably worse numbers here. Canada is a pretty godless nation to begin with. So I'll let you like, say that. <laughs> we follow Canada uh, in a lot of ways. And, and yeah. I, I see us going down the same path that I've seen Canada go down, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, we've had a few churches who've been very like steadfast in terms of gathering and stuff like that, but, but we've had, we've had ministers like arrested and jailed and oh, like, I know that we keep up with all of that. Here. Uh, and, and in fact, it's found its way into illustrations in some of my revival sermons on Elijah and Elisha because yeah. it's just, and people are amazed and they're amazed when I tell them there's times. Now, sometimes we come across the border, no problem, but there are times we've been held up at the border for an hour being questioned about what am I going to be saying and what am I going to be doing? Cause they, of course they ask what I'm here and I'm going to be preaching. And, uh, and people are amazed that that, that happens with our neighbor that we all love so much to the North. You know, they just can't believe that that, that that's the way it is. But, um, uh, it seems to me that, that uh, Europe goes one way, Canada follows Europe, and then we follow morally, we follow Canada. You know, yeah, we may have surpassed yeah. them in a lot of ways already, but I'm uh, sad to say. But now I, I want to get to this. You had a very interesting conversation with somebody uh, last week uh, that that deals with all of this. Uh, you and 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 some guys went and had a had an opportunity to share your stories with uh, someone, or would you like to share that? Sure. Um, actually, there's a, so in, in New Brunswick, the the way it worked was government and a few, like a few different organizations, different uh, industries had decided to implement uh, vaccine passports. So if you were not vaccinated, you basically, you would lose your job. And so, the interesting thing about like the censorship that happened here and the just the level of like suppression of any kind of opposing view as you know compared to what you see on tv and what the doctors are saying and the mainstream and what government is saying like it was the suppression was like it was so heavy that it forced a lot of people kind of almost underground and and a lot of people found each other and so there was a group of us who had kind of crossed paths over time just because of our situations and our stories were quite similar. We had all kind of, well, my situation was a little different because I was just forced out, but they, they were government mandated, like fired for not getting the vaccine. Mm. And uh, there was a doctor, a pilot. So yeah, a doctor at the hospital and uh, uh, a pilot at the Fredericton airport. And he was an instructor as well at the, at the flight school. And then uh, there was a, a health professional, like a administrative. He was a, the communications officer. He worked with the government for like 20 plus years. And then, and then was working for horizon when he got fired for or lost his job for not getting the vaccine. So anyway, our paths all crossed and we had decided we would put together a presentation and approach government and, basically give voice to the other side because at that at that point government was very much 
like targeting that 10%, right. trying to get their numbers of vaccinations up. And, uh, and so, but there, there seemed to be no understanding on government's part of the other side of just how yeah. bad their policies were affecting large segments of the population. I had seen it in ministry. Um, the, the, my doctor friend had seen it in just as a doctor. Like we had all seen completely different. It was, it was just neat because our, our circles were so different, but we all kind of saw similar things and how these policies had impacted uh, people in different areas. So anyway, we, we put together this presentation and we, we took it to Chris Austin was the first one we took it to. He was a leader of one of the one of the parties here in New Brunswick, but he's on the COVID committee, um, advising government and public health on what to do with their policies. And so we presented to him. We didn't even get home from our presentation afterwards. He gave us a call and told us that he had scheduled a meeting with the premier, which is like our governor, yeah, in our state, right. Yep. So the next, the, the following week, um, we met with the, with the premier and, uh, Chris again, and, and basically we gave our presentation and it was a, it was a, a strange, fascinating, just <laughs> meeting. Cause it, it was nothing, it wasn't formal in that there was no, like it was closed session. There was no, no press. Yeah. No press, no nothing. It was just, Four guys, which is funny, completely unvaccinated, <laughs> sitting in a room with the guy who has said on many occasions his, you know, stated his desire to to make life uncomfortable for the unvaccinated. And <laughs> so that was was that a little uncomfortable at the, <laughs> to sit in that meeting Not or for us because we've spent the past two years being pressured and kind of mm-hmm. like we're just used to it. Um, I don't know if it was uncomfortable for him or not. He's a politician, so I doubt he he gets. I doubt much <laughs> makes him uncomfortable. Um, it was just it was just weird because the the Blaine Higgs, that's our 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 premier, um, the Blaine Higgs of our meeting was so not the Blaine Higgs of all the press conferences for the past year and a half, because most mm-hmm. of those press conferences were spent with him wagging his finger at the unvaccinated, and you know, just, I don't know, you can go back and see some of the stuff he said was just out there in terms of vitriol and clear frustration with people who were not getting vaccinated. But in the meeting, it was just so different because that Blaine Higgs just wasn't there. Like, I think Omicron changed everything. Mm -hmm. Like, I think Omicron took people's fear of COVID away for one. There, you still got a small segment of people. Usually it's older, overweight, like right. the people who should be scared of COVID. Right. Um, or anything really, you know, they get a certain age or a certain, certain health situation. Yeah. You, need, you need to be careful about anything. Yeah, exactly. They still, they're still very afraid of COVID. But for the most part, most people are... Like everybody's getting it here. Like Omicron is spreading like wildfire. It's crazy. And no amount, like we're one of the most, you know, strict provinces in a country that is way more strict than any other country right now. Like, and it hasn't, it has done nothing to stop Omicron. It just spreads everywhere. 
And so people just aren't scared of it anymore. And so the vaccination rates, um, even though we have like, I think in Canada, it's upwards of 85%. Wow. New, Br- New Brunswick, it's closing in on 90%. Wow. Double dose. But here's the thing. So you've got 10% of the population who's unvaccinated. The vaccines wane, right? The effectiveness wanes. Right. After about four to six months, they're essentially useless. And and uh, so they have to get boosters, right? And so New Brunswick is about to transition from 10% unvaccinated to if the numbers continue on this trajectory, it's going to be about 60 or 70% down from close to 90% uh-huh. vaccination rate. So the, your government has been targeting the 10% pretty well, like for, with no consequence, because it's just such a small portion of the population. Right. But now you're looking at 30 to 40% of the population to target them is going to be a real problem. And so they've really changed their tune. And it, it really showed up in that meeting. I think in the next couple of months, you're going to see a complete about face. Well, you know, someone, uh, I, one doctor had pointed out, and of course, he's just one doctor, but he said this Omicron, he said it may be nature's way, of course, he wouldn't say God's way, but nature's way of dealing with this because if we allow it to run its course, it will weaken COVID even more. If we yeah. allow it to run its course, our problem, and, and here we are, you and me, two medical guys, but, <laughs> we're, <laughs> yeah. but we're, you know, this is just opinion and people know that. But a problem is, you know, you spend two years behind a mask, which I have not. I've done it to be polite if I've been asked to do it. I'll, and if, if someone's business will get shut down, if I don't, well, I'm going to do that. That's a Christian thing to do. But yeah. I don't. I have not spent my life in it. And I, I got to say, even when it was kind of mandated here in our part of Mississippi, I don't know if I ever went into Walmart and saw more than 20% that were wearing it other than the workers in there. Yeah. Mississippians, we're just kind of our own people, you know. And, uh, but <laughs> I envy you. <laughs> you, you, stay, you stay behind that mat. Well, now, we, actually, we, we also had a mayor, uh, you may have heard about it, that uh, in one of our Mississippi towns during the, during the height of all this, that uh, some people wanted to go to their Wednesday night service at Baptist Church, and they uh, they had 10 people in the building, and they set up an AM transmitter, and people came in their cars, kept the windows up, and listened on the car because they wanted to be in their Bible study. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate that. The mayor sent the police there to, to fine them all $500 per car. And wow. the only time they were ever contacted face-to-face with anybody was the police officers giving them their tickets. Now, thankfully... Uh, my understanding is the governor came along and said, no, you're not going to pay that. <laughs> so, yeah. but it, what happens is a lot of the local officials uh, who maybe at one time were good guys all of a sudden feel this power. Uh, I've got power over thing and I'm, this is what I'm going to do. But as I was going to say, well, I go, if we wear a mask for two years, uh, first of all, I, I, I've always questioned how good that is anyway, but that we won't, I won't get into that. But if you did that. <laughs> It, it does keep you from getting some colds and things that you need to get to keep your body strong so you can fight things off. And then we just get, we get weaker and weaker. Yeah. Uh, this is, COVID is a serious thing. And, and you're not talking, I don't want anybody to think that I think it's not serious or we think it's not serious. I've yeah, buried people that have died of COVID. I understand that. Um, I've buried people who have died of pneumonia and other things too. Mm-hmm. It's a very serious thing. Uh, most of my extended family is vaccinated. And when they said, uh, I 
I want to get my mother wanted to get her second one. I said, Mom, you know, do I need to drive you? What do you need to do? You know, uh, if, if that's what you want to do, then you need to do it. But I, I do believe in freedom and I do believe that, you know, we are adults and we make our choice. And another thing uh, scriptures say is a point of men wants to die and after this, the judgment. Well, you know, Jason, exactly. I drive 30 to 40,000 miles a year and there's some crazy people on the roads. And, and, you know, I, I could get taken out by that just as quickly, you know, after I got two or three shots for COVID. So yeah. I figure, you yeah. know, when my time comes, my time's going to come. And that's exactly how I look at it. And if, if the church will open, uh, I'm going to be there preaching the word because there's somebody else who might, uh, who might down the road get COVID or pneumonia or something else and die. And if I'm not there to share the gospel, uh, maybe the minister, their minister might not say just the right word that, that maybe my being there would say. Not that he wouldn't try, but, he, you know, sometimes that guest speaker says something that the local yep. guy just misses. So I, I'm just not giving up my time. And people have asked me, well, what if they throw you in jail, Tom? I said, then I got a captive audience. Exactly. <laughs> you know, what did Paul do? <laughs> That's funny. I've actually, uh, since, since leaving Fredericton uh, Christian Church, one of the... I've just been looking for places to kind of volunteer my time in ministry and prison ministry is one of them. That oh, that's I've great. Been seriously looking at. Well, we what COVID did for us on the positive for our ministry besides, you know, we kept going out there is those 6 weeks gave time for our brother Greg to set up the Rockstar Ministries YouTube page and we okay. we got about 30 or 40 uh programs on YouTube. And for me to do what I've been wanting to do for a few years, and that's get this this audio podcast. I spent so many years on the radio, which, by the way, I still remember fondly the time, the hour we spent on Christian radio there yeah. in Fredericton. Uh, I just appreciate that so much. That's just one of the, my best memories in 18 years of doing this was just sitting there with that with that great Christian brother and just talking about revivals and, and what it meant. Yeah, it was that was time. fantastic. I remember that well. Yeah. Is he still working there? No, he uh, he's working at a, a car dealership. It was it, the local uh, Christian radio station. Like, they just don't pay enough. Well, I understand. Yeah, family. So he he was forced to kind of <laughs> move on. But. When you see him, tell him I I think of him often and, and appreciated his his hospitality. It was wonderful. Um, what do you see, Jason? Uh, as a of course we've talked about a great challenge. You and I have talked about the COVID thing more than probably any other program I've done thus far, though it comes up in almost every one. But yeah. but uh, what do you see as greatest challenge for the for the church, or individual Christians, or the ministry, going forward from this day? I know that's kind of a, just take any one of them if you want, or all three. I don't I don't care. The greatest challenge <laughs> in your mind, it's it's a hard. It's actually a difficult question for me to kind of grapple with because my situation was quite painful. Yes. <laughs> And that colors, obviously, how I and I and I know of several other churches who've had a really hard, like our government in New Brunswick. The devil could not have done a better job dividing congregations than the government's approach to the yes. churches. Yeah, and and so I would say the greatest challenge churches face moving forward is going to be the hangover. Of okay. what some people did, yes. and how some people responded to the virus itself, how some people treated other people, how uh -huh. they treated like I'll give you an example. Like 
<clears throat> I know of people who, who, who kind of projected onto others their own situation. So one of the reasons why I think some people were so adamant that I get vaccinated was because there was no nuance. Right. They were they were incapable of looking at me and seeing me. Yeah. They only saw their own situation. So like they they have all the makings of a really bad go with COVID. <laughs> if right. they get it, they're gonna struggle. And they look at me and this was I think well, at this point, it was pretty clear that the vaccines did not stop transmission, did not stop infection. And yet it was, I was still this vector, this, you know, unnecessary vector for the virus in, in their eyes. But they would look at me and they would just assume that that COVID's going to affect me the same way that it affects them and that I should do this. And at the very least, I should be doing this for them and for others and and. I think there was just an unwillingness to see the other person's side of things. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a hard thing to be honest with ourselves about when all of this is said and done, that some things were done in the church that were just about as unbiblical as they could be in how we responded to this. And that's going to be difficult to sit down and and be honest with ourselves about right could we have done this differently should we have done this differently i always go back to uh my life verse ephesians 4:32 and pardon me for using the king james but that's how i learned it and being yeah. kind one to another tender hearted forgiving one another even as god for christ's sake has forgiven you and mm -hmm. today i was reading uh the cost of discipleship by dietrich bonhoeffer and uh, I love that book. oh man this is my first time through it, and I was—I I haven't had a chance to read it here lately because of the uh, situation we've been in. So I got a chance just to read a couple of pages, and he's talking about—you know—we can't—we can't truly worship God if we hate our brother or we treat mm -hmm. them despicably, in a despicable way. And uh, I was thinking, yeah, uh, you know, I can see that. I can—I can really see that. And we, uh, everything we have to be sold out to Christ, and yep. he's, he's got to be first, and. Uh, I think the big problem in what you're saying there is uh, I have never seen the church and in North America more fearful than it is today. Yeah. And and living in fear and God didn't give us a spirit of fear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had one guy who in a meeting went right up one side of me and down the other for like 20 minutes just going off and talking about how they're not like afraid of the virus, that they're afraid for the children and they're afraid for this person and that person. And I, uh, the whole time I'm thinking, and I realize this is potentially sinful, but I was thinking in the moment, speculating on kind of where they're sitting. I'm like, I just didn't believe them. I'm like, mm. no, I think you're afraid. Yeah. And I think you can't admit it to yourself that yeah. you that you're willing to say, well, you're afraid of this virus for somebody else and for this person and for that person. And I'm like, no, I think you're afraid. I think you're just plain old afraid. Yeah. 
And <clears throat> I think that's going to be, like I say, it's going to be the, that moment of honesty when all of this is said and done. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're going to have to, and we're like, what just happened? We're going to have to get past it and love one another and be the family. It's the forgiveness. That's yeah. my biggest challenge. Yeah. Is the forgiveness of it all. Yeah. Like, cause things were done to me and it, and I'm sure they're looking at me thinking I've done things to them. Right. And, and it's going to be, well, I think of Jesus words on the sermon of the Mount where he's like, you know, forget while well, he's teaching his disciples to pray. And he's like, forgive, you know, as we, you know, forgive yeah. us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Yeah. So that principle is set, you know, is right. set in doctrine. And then you get places where Jesus just says it flat out, forgive or you will not be forgiven. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I look at what was done to me. And like I say, I don't like the victim mindset. So I, I almost never go there. Like I don't feel sorry for myself at all or anything like that. And I don't look at them as like these terrible people who, you know, did me wrong or whatever, but there's hurt there. Yeah. And I'm like, forgiving them is, has been a real challenge. Yeah. Well, it not only hurts as a minister, I understand it not only hurts you personally, but it hurts your kids. It hurts your spouse and uh, hurts our spouse even more because they because they're hurting for you, yeah, you know, or for me. And, and I took I actually one of the reasons why, I, like one of the reasons why I parted ways with them the way we did it, was basically to protect my family. Yeah. I didn't want my kids to see the church hurt their father. Right. Like it was already getting real bad, and I just I well I know the church's history. And it's the same people doing the same sort of thing. I know what, where this could potentially go mm -hmm. and how bad it could potentially be. And I've heard horror stories from some of my colleagues and I'm like, my kids aren't going to see that. I understand that. I'm not putting my wife through well, that. Just re remember, uh, Jason, that God has called you to ministry and mm -hmm. it may not be in local church right now. It may be a, in the future. But look for those opportunities. I was talking to someone just today who's going through a struggle in their local church, not over COVID, but over something else. Yeah. And I said, look at this as God, hopefully it'll work out and you, you can stay where you're at, but look at it as God pushing you to do something in your community that you couldn't do under the restrictions that you're under right now. And you uh -huh. have great opportunity in your community because you love your community, you love the people, and you can... Everybody's hiring right now. You can get a part-time, full-time job around here. I mean, everybody's begging. And fast food places are here. Oh, they're just paying like crazy amounts. And I wish they paid that when I was a kid. But <laughs> in fact, I thought about maybe I need to take a part-time job doing that, you know, when I'm home. But <laughs> anyway, yeah. any final word from you? We need Our time's about up. My testimony is one that just highlights God's faithfulness. Like whether it was the story of me coming to the faith or the story of me coming back to the faith or even the story of me going through what I've gone through over the past, you know, six months, especially, but the past year at least, um, is God's faithfulness. He has been constantly, constantly providing. Like <clears throat> it's, it's amazing especially through uh, just all the turmoil at the church and 
and stuff, just the, the ways in which God has provided in support of my faith and support of my family, like even financially, like um, we're, we're definitely struggling just because that's what happens when you lose your job. But God has constantly provided. And my faith through all of this turmoil and through all of this trial has only been deepened. And that's the case for my wife as well. And like, it's been, it's been hard on the kids because they're, they've only ever known one church. Yeah. But even them being able to witness their their parents, you know, stick stick it out in the faith through the trials, it, it has been to God's glory, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate that. And to say to those who've listened today, uh, we love you and we hope you love the people around you. Uh, Walk circumspectly. Know what's happening around you mm-hmm. uh, in the spiritual world, in the physical world. Uh, take care of yourself. Don't take chances. Do what you need to do for your, you know, take care of yourself. But love the others around you that are doing what they feel like they need to do, and mm-hmm. and keep serving Jesus. Uh, if you feel like this program has been encouragement to you. Um, we would ask that you would share it with your friends and co-workers in Christ. I want to thank you, Jason, for being with us. And thank in, you. And to our listener, until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye. And may God pour out his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain.